Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Today we're talking about body language. I love this one. This is an area I've really spent a lot of time in the last many months because I talk a lot about this, but fun facts. I probably said this on the show before, but 11 million bits of information, sensory information is taken in by our brain at any one moment. You know how much your brain can handle? 50, five, zero. 50. That said, we need to start to really think about how do we reduce some of the sensory stimulation? Because if we don't, our mental capacity and bandwidth for the day will get and is getting drained very, very early in the day. So one of the ways to do that, one of the things to think about is is your communication with your kids because communication language, well, let me clarify words, the word part of communication, because there are different elements of communication. It's, it's very stimulating. So when we communicate with our kids, we're stimulating them, which in a lot of ways is a good thing. They learn from us, they learn language and that's awesome. And what we need to know is that there are other parts of communication that we can access and should be accessing. So today we're going to talk about body language. And I bet that you didn't know that about 70 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. But if you think about it and you think about your facial expressions and just kind of like the energy you put out without even having to say anything, people can kind of feel, see even what you're thinking or what's going on. And, and a lot of that is done subconsciously. <laughs> I know, notorious for doing this, but in couples therapy, I have like been, been, <laughs> been listening to my partner share something and disagreeing with it and having no real recollection or awareness of that my face without saying a single word is completely negatively responding to what my partner's saying. And, and the therapist has pointed it out. So I've had to become like very hyper aware of like, even though I'm not saying I disagree with you, my body language is screaming it. So being more mindful, being more aware of that and using it to our advantage. So the other part of that is we can communicate with kids non-verbally. We can use our body language. We don't always have to use so many words because they can understand what we want or what we need or be guided or directed just based on body language alone. Even praise. We'll talk about how praise can be derived from body language. 
and know that naturally kids are keenly observing our body language, our tone, our facial expressions, all these things, because they need to be able to read those things to determine what steps to take next. And that, that is like, that thing is a biological innate skill trait because eons ago we wanted to we didn't want to, we needed to be a part of our tribes in order to be a part of our tribes. We had to be somewhat empathetically aware of other people and their body language and what they were saying to keep the bond and the relationship strong. So we were accepted in the tribe. We were accepted in the tribe. We were safe. You were not a member of the tribe. You usually didn't survive. So biologically it's, it's ingrained into our system, but it's important to remember that What we say may or may not resonate with kids, but how we convey the message, our body language behind the message absolutely does. And our words can say something, but if our body language says something different, they are going to be the first to see through that. So let's talk about first here for a moment, like what what are the parts of body language? You've got Uh, your facial expressions, you've got even like your posture, you've got your positioning of your body. Is it closed or is it open? What's your tone look like? Are your arms like flailing and loud and up and energetic and in maybe like a harsh authoritarian way? Or are your hands more like at your waist or at your sides? Um, What else with body language? Uh, Volume even besides just tone. Uh, so there, there are many elements of your body language to consider and really think about for yourself, which ones are the most obvious. So for me, it's my eyebrows and my eyes <laughs> that's in the therapy sessions where they can tell that I'm disagreeing because my eyebrows will be very like, Mm-mm, and my eyes will, will shift and change. So that's, that's the one that I really need to watch for my partner. I can tell his energy is going up because his, his body will like open up and expand his shoulders will come back and his hands will kind of fly in the air and not in like a (laughs) positive, like I'm excited kind of way, like, this is going to be a tough conversation. So works for kids too. They see that they read that they feel that. So there are certain things that we need to be aware of and that we can do. I mean, taking deep breaths can bring us back to neutral like having a notebook in front of you to, to write thoughts down or kind of reflect on thoughts before speaking or responding can help you keep your body language neutral uh, and just being attentive to it and of it when you are speaking to your kids. Okay. So what does body language look like? There is kind of like negative and positive body language. So let's talk about what those pieces really are. Um, okay. So here's some positive body language, positive body language is like when you lean closer to your child, you have a more softer, relaxed posture. Your facial muscles are loose. You might be nodding. You might be smiling. Even your eyes, (laughs) you're making contact with them or they're going to be like tilted up that you can kind of see a smile. There might be some warm gestures, um, like open palms or like a hand on the forearm or shoulder that, that is like a light pressure that can be calming, more calming. Um, and these, the movements then are slower. So those, those can all be positive signs of body language. And then obviously like a, a tone or a volume that is, is softer and lighter and higher. 
on the flip side, there are some negative body language and we'll see a lot of this from kids without even like, <laughs> they just aren't, again, aren't consciously aware though, though we can be unaware as well, but, um, signs that like things aren't going so well, arms folded in front of you. If your arms are folded, it's typically not a positive sign. If kids are fidgeting or, or people are fidgeting, they're usually bored or nervous or impatient or anxious. So read those signs. If the body tenses up, if the body closes in or, or broadens in a way that shows authoritarian action, um, leaning away, pulling away, uh, body turned away, definitely things like yawns, <laughs> loud volume, harsh volume, quick speaking. So I think in opposites here, we always talk about like yin and yang, soft versus harsh. That's what we're talking about as far as positive versus negative. So I'm going to ask that you take a moment here and kind of just reflect on what types of body language, positive, negative, do you need to become more aware of? Which ones do you think you portray? And if you don't know, ask a partner or somebody to like watch you when you're interacting with people or kids and, and, and afterwards share with you which elements of body language were the ones that you really um, displayed. So aside from body language in our direct communication, whether that be communicating, talking, asking, directing, whatever. You can also use body language to praise. Again, words are so stimulating. So you can praise kids without using words. And I would say in the Western world, in America, we talk too much and we talk too much at kids and we're always guiding and directing and, and sometimes and even praise, like there are whole systems in schools around positive intervention, which is, is great. And it's also too much stimulation. It's too much praise. It's too frequent of praise. So how do we bring that down a notch? Body language. You can praise a child with a smile. You can praise a child with um, a note, a, a gesture, a hand on the back, a fist bump, a high five. Those are all forms of body language and nonverbal praise, which work really, really well. You can even guide a child's actions with your body by the way you position it or um, the way you use like directionality with your body. So think about how can you integrate more praise or direction with body language and no words. Try this week to reduce the amount of words that you use, whether it be for praise or guided direction. That's all I'm going to say about body language because that was a lot fast. And it's not a topic we need to go too far into detail in, but more of like a reflective session where I want you to really think about and reflect on where you are, what you display, how can you change it and how can you use it to your advantage? And that takes us to today's listener question, which is how can, how can we, I'm guessing educators, aid parents to work with their infant or even their young child that is really stressed out. That is most of kids today. So the first thing that we can and really should do is think about our own stress and anxiety levels. If those are high, we need to work on getting our own stress and anxiety under control. And I would say body language ties right into this perfectly. If you're stressed, you're tense. If you're anxious, you look like fearful or um, it could even cause exhaustion. So getting those things under control for yourself, being aware of the physical signs of those things, and then model 
model the practices that you use to de-stress. What are the things that you use? Model things that kids could use. I'm constantly talking aloud in classrooms about what I do when I'm anxious or what I'm doing when I'm stressed. So I, I label it. I am stressed. And now I'm going to take deep breaths to get de-stressed or to unstress or to come back to neutral. Uh, I'm going to get a drink of water so that my body feels calm. I'm talking through, like, I feel it. Here's what I do. I feel it. Here's what I do. Step one, step two, step one, step two. So they get into the sequence of neutralizing. The other thing teachers can do is share resources. Sometimes parents just don't have the time or the energy to find, utilize, you know, we, we kind of default to deep breathing and some other things. What are some other stress reduction and anxiety reducing strategies? I mean, there are, there are numerous. And if you really want <laughs> to know, I have a whole bunch on this podcast. I also have a whole bunch in our blog page and I designed entire courses around this information. So check out any of those three resources on our page. And then there are plenty of other people that provide amazing resources as well. Even, you know, a quick Pinterest search for stress reduction for kids, anxiety reduction for kids, anxiety strategies for kids, common coping strategies, getting yield so many results, hundreds. Periodically check in. Don't wait until you see a, a child is stressed or anxious. Check in with them when they are calm, practice things when they are calm so they can use them when they are starting to feel stressed or they can use them when they're going kind of up, like they have like a roller coaster, like hill, like you have to climb up to the top, you can climb up to the top. You can see they're getting stressed. You can see they're getting anxious and you hit that peak. And when you get that peak and you go to the other side and you go down real fast, it's really hard to get a child out of that state once they're already in it. So catch them on the way up, check in, model, provide strategy, co-regulate, which means just do it beside them or do it in front of them, a way to calm down so that you don't get to that peak. And then, you know, you can even create group shares, text groups, Facebook groups, you know, whatever it is where you share strategies that you're using. So you could create even a document in like a Google doc. If, you know, parents know how to do that and you know how to do that, create a document, share it with the families give everyone editing access. Everyone can add different strategies that they use to reduce stress and anxiety, or you can add and they can get on there and see it. Or, you know, Telegram is an app, a free app. I really like it's private. You can create a group of text uh, threads and uh, I can, you can share resources in there and you can you can share documents, you can share images, you can share voice memos, you can share text. <laughs> so I like that app because it's very versatile. Lots of ways to reduce stress. The point is that we're doing it consistently, regularly, because consistency is key more so than frequency. Brain likes pattern. So consistency, it's a big one. To wrap up the show, we are going to talk about, or I'm going to share a try to home tip, which is give yourself margin in your schedule. This home was huge for me, and I think it's huge for so many people because we, plan so much back to back to back to back. And then we're rushing from one thing to the next and that causes stress and it causes anxiety. So create space in between your activities or your commitments, create white space in your calendar. So in my Google calendar, I block space that it literally says white space. You're not doing anything. And during that time, I will try not to catch up on work, get ahead on work. I'll try to like get outside, go for a walk, close my eyes, get off the screen. So Give yourself margins in between things to uh, 
get ahead and, or not even just get ahead, but just to, to break, to give yourself more time to get somewhere or do something, or don't put that strict pressure or schedule back to back on yourself. It causes a lot of anxiety. And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, which is give yourself a margin in your schedule. If you would like me to answer any of your questions on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com, or you can even shoot me a text, 717-693-7744. And lock in what you learned today by either sharing it with someone else, reteaching it to someone else, or even just popping below and commenting or reviewing, like, this is my biggest takeaway. This is what I want to do to not forget this information. So some accountability there is helpful. And then subscribe to future episodes to learn more ways to hack your brain and body. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me. Thank you.